The following message is from the 2012 IBCD Summer Institute, Changed by Grace. Okay, ladies, let's begin. Um, this topic um, is really three in one. I give this at women's retreats in three parts. I'm doing it in one tonight, so I'm not wasting a millisecond. Let's pray and let's get started. Lord, we don't rush into your presence. We come in Jesus' name. And you hold out your scepter to us and you say there's no broken relationship anymore because you're coming. And um, uh, our big brother, our Savior. So, Lord, you know um, every woman in here. You know her story, um, every hair on her head. You know her wonderful relationships. You know the broken ones. And I pray that this night would be a great blessing, a long-term blessing, that a year from now, two years from now, Yeah, I would even ask 10 years from now, these women will be personally and ministerially more equipped to handle um, broken relationships and to live in freedom for those they can't put together. We ask this in your awesome name. Amen. 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 Is this a co-educational class? Or is it female only? It's female only. But those of you who, um, if there are men, you know, husbands, whatever, others who, pastors who want to hear it, it's going to be available. Just order it. Just order it. Just order it. This is um, by request of the authorities in my life. Okay? All right. Living in freedom amidst broken relationships. I want to tell you, um, by the way, you're on, I think, page 61. Um, page 61. Yeah. Okay. Um, introduction. I want to tell you about a girl that I'm calling, a woman I'm calling Carla. Carla's mother is terminally ill. Carla's a believer. Her mother's a believer. But Carla's not feeling very, very good right now, sitting next to her mother, because her mother, um... And she are, just have been at odds for a long, long time. Um, Carla's in her 40s, probably since Carla was 17. Something very big happened, and I'll tell you uh, toward the end um, what happened uh, between Carla and her mother. But um, there's so much tension b- between them that you could just, you could feel it. You could feel it in the air. Um, is it, can anything be done, or is this a hopeless situation? Think about your broken relationships. I know the reason that you came here was because you're helping somebody else with one, or you're in one, and you've done everything you can to resolve it, and it's not working so well. And you want to know, is there anything else I should do? Or can I live in peace and freedom, um, even though it's still sort of broken? That's what we want to uh, talk about. Three things. Reconciliation is the goal. Forgiveness is the path. It's all there in your notes. Reconciliation is the goal. Forgiveness is the path. And you can live in freedom even if no true reconciliation is accomplished. Last point. First one. Reconciliation is the goal. You see, reconciliation is a command, isn't it? It's not an option. Mark 9:50. God tells us to be at peace with one another. That's an imperative. Romans 14, 19, let us therefore make every effort, those of you who got your pens out, underline, make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. I know inside some of you are saying, well, that's too risky, Eileen. 
Oh, can't we just let sleeping dogs lie? Let's not muddy the waters, right? We, they finally settle down. Eileen, please don't stir them up, okay? And here's one. What if it ends up worse? What, you know, I think it's bad now. What if I go try this reconciliation thing and it ends up worse, all right? The Lord's telling us to make every effort. You think God is in the reconciliation business, isn't he? He made this up. This is his glorious plan. Colossians 1.19, For God was pleased, <laughs> pleased to have all fullness dwell in him, and through him to, here's our word, reconcile. That's bring together. No more this way. Now it's reconcile. To himself all things, whether things in earth or things in heaven. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, I don't know how you reconcile things in heaven because it's already reconciled. I'm not here to figure that one out. But we are going to talk about <laughs> things on earth. You know, you get to verses you just can't figure out, right? We're going to ask the Lord about those someday. But let's just talk about things on earth. God designed peace and he majors in reconciliation. All right? In the new heavens and the new earth, there'll be no fighting... No discord, no abuse, no neglect, um, no wars, uh, no tit-for-tat kind of thing that happens. There will be total reconciliation. But now, what do we do? I want to tell you that reconciliation is essential for worship. I know you know this. If you know your word of God, right there, Matthew 5, 23 and 24. What a rich and wonderful verse, isn't it? So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and remember that your brother has something against you, and, of course, we could say, sister, anyone has something against you. The old King James said what? Ought. Remember that? Ought against you. <laughs> something you ought to do or they ought to do. Something ought against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. Um, now, I don't know of anyone who's ever left a worship service to do this. Uh, <laughs> Although this is what it says. I do know those who have not taken communion because of conflict in a relationship. But I've never heard of someone who's done this. But I think the point, at least, is we need to commit to deal with these and, and not just act like, oh, everything's just fine. Um, I can just let this go. No, we need to make every effort. I don't mean crazy, unreasonable effort, but every biblical effort to deal with these. Um, 1 John 4.20, A. If anyone says, oh, I love God, I just hate my brother. He's a liar. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And we know that's sisters. It's, it's those who are um, believers, um, at least. At least that, you see. And... Um, you see, if this is causing your conscience to be touched, ask yourself, am I trusting in Christ alone for my salvation? Am I trusting in Christ alone for my sanctification? Okay? And if you are, and I'm sure most of you are, you can know that God is going to change that attitude. Let's say you are struggling with hatred towards somebody. It might be somebody who abused you. If you're struggling with hatred, you know if you're his, he is going to work on you. He's not going to let you stay right where you are. He is going to minister to you and change you because he says, whoever loves God 
must love his brother. He will bring you along. Right now, I'm working with a gal in Europe. I'm counseling her over Skype. <laughs> and uh, it's a sad story. She's in her mid-30s, raised in an alcoholic home, mother and father. Father raped her continually from until she was probably around 13 or 14. She hates her father. She certifiably hates him. And then, of course, he did die a couple years ago, but she hates her mother because her mother just never protected her and told her horrible things. But she's coming to know the Lord. As a witness, I watch what happens when she's beginning to see the love of Christ. And she said to me at the beginning, she said, you're not going to tell me I shouldn't hate my mother, are you? <laughs> so I said, you know what? Let's just see what God teaches you. You bring the word in a balanced way, they're going to get the good news and the bad news. Okay? Now, she needs a heavy dose of the message that you heard this morning. How many were here this morning for the, the other one? You have it? Great. Heavy, heavy dose of grace, grace, grace. Now, sometimes you're counseling somebody who needs a heavy dose of the bad news. <laughs> and, of course, let's be honest with yourself. Don't you need the bad news occasionally? And that drives you to the good news. Because the good news isn't very good till the bad news is very bad. <laughs> so the Bible's balanced, isn't it? The Bible's beautifully balanced. The good news and the bad news, because the Holy Spirit uses it. We're not so balanced, I'm safe to say, but the Word of God is. So, reconciliation is essential to worship. Reconciliation starts vertically with justification. Those of you who are here this morning heard some wonderful teaching on justification. And I would even say, I would call it positional sanctification. Um, you see, reconciliation starts this way. If you've never been reconciled with God, how can you accomplish reconciliation with somebody else? How? I mean, if you don't know what it is to have a holy God look at all your sin and say, it's forgiven. It's under the blood. I'm holding nothing against you again in a condemnatory way. You're my precious daughter. <sighs> See, if you don't know that, how, how, could, how do you have the capacity to truly forgive someone else? You don't. But when you have that, Step by step, you will learn how to forgive even grievous injuries by someone else. But it starts vertically. Look at the passage, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Wow. Isn't that a great ministry? Maybe one of you, some of you, many of you are called to that ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting. Oh, I love this. No counting. That's what we do. We keep count of all the injuries, don't we? Oh, yes. And he did this, and he did this, and then he did this. See, not counting their trespasses against them, but entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Wow. He's entrusting it to us. Well, how do we learn the message of reconciliation? Straight this way, in our relationship with him. We see how holy he is. We see how sinful we are. And then we say, wow, he never gives up on us. He never throws us out of the family. We get his identity. Okay, that is freeing. Let's look at Ephesians 4, 30 and 32. And please excuse me for going so fast. I know it feels like it's a racetrack, but 
You got your notes? Go back and pray over them. <laughs> Study them. And no, really, you just ask the Spirit to use the Word to teach you what you have. Because everyone walking out, coming out of this room tonight is going to get something applied to you. See, that's why we don't just need preaching from the pulpit. That's the key. But you need counseling, which is, what is counseling? It's discipleship. It's one anothering. You do it to each other. Every person in this room who's a real believer does it. I don't care whether you have a desk or you sign homework. You're doing it. Discipling. It's one anothering. You point the finger at somebody else, you got three pointing back at you. Yeah, it's a two-way street. You're, you're doing it, whether you... So there's somebody's giving you a title or not. Okay. But let's look at this next verse, because it really is important. Ephesians 4, 30 and 32. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, hmm. by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, as God in Christ forgave you. See, what's the, what's the lesson here? For God in Christ forgave you. So don't grieve the Spirit. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Didn't we just hear you? Nothing separates from the love of God, right? Hmm, what's this? Grieve the Holy Spirit? Yeah. He doesn't love us any less. But we still can grieve Him when we don't reconcile. Don't do what we can to reconcile. And then that's when bitterness, wrath, anger, and clamor go up. So, it starts that way. All right. It starts vertically, but now where does it go? It must spread to the horizontal plane. Why? Well, God commands us to do everything possible to be at peace with everyone. Um, very hard. Look at Romans twelve eighteen. If possible. I know some of you are going, well, I've tried everything. It's impossible. <laughs> Look at the next part. As far as it depends on you. You can't fix anybody else. Could I hear an amen? Thank you. You can't fix anybody else. And God asks you to have self-control. He doesn't ask you to have husband control. He doesn't ask you to have children control. He doesn't ask you to have church member control. He asks you to have self-control. That's all he's holding you accountable. He says, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, when you're thinking about reconciling with somebody, and maybe the Spirit already has somebody right there in the forefront of your mind, and you're thinking, oh, I hope it doesn't apply to this person. Um, okay. Make sure a clear principle has been broken, not a personal preference. Okay? Can I just say that one more time? Underline, highlight, exclamation mark. Make sure a clear principle has been broken, not a personal preference. Now, in Carla's case, remember the Carla we talked about at the beginning? The problem was a clear principle, not a personal preference. Because what happened was Carla, as a, cha- as a six or seven-year-old, was molested by her brother many times over the period of one summer. Happily, it ended, but she really became sexually confused and became uh, promiscuous. Um, her father started calling her a slut. Okay, um, she wasn't a, a, from a believing family at that point. They had no, made no profession of faith, but um, she got pregnant at seventeen, 
And uh, she didn't tell her mother for a long time. And when she did, she was about six, seven months along. Well, I know you know where this story's going, don't you? Her mother forced her to have a saline abortion at six, seven months. And uh, nothing she could do to change her mom and dad's mind. Their p- parents were just absolutely sure this was the only thing. And she remembers laying on that table with her mother standing next to her, offering her no support, no comfort, just this is what you have to do. Okay, now you can turn the clock ahead. Remember how I started this story? She was, it was reversed. Her mother's laying on the bed. She's standing next to her mother, and she's feeling really angry because she never reconciled with her mother, never dealt with it in a biblical way. So she is so full of anger and resentment. Um, But we have a clear principle broken, don't we? Very clear principle, not a personal preference. But you have to ask yourself, is it a personal preference? And I'm not making light of it like saying, oh, well, this person and I, you know, we disagreed about the color paint to make the, you know, the, uh, the church uh, sanctuary. And we've been, you know, at each other's throats ever since. Well, sadly, those things do happen. But I'm, I'm talking about something that's a little iffier. And maybe some of you right now are thinking of a situation that's not super clear. You say, well, I'm not sure that's a personal preference. You might want to bring that up um, in the Q&A time, and we're going to try real hard to give you time for that. But um, you make sure that, that uh, it's a clear principle, not a personal preference. Reconciliation has to spread to the horizontal plane. All right. Now well, let's, go, let's go have two distant people here. Here's person A and here's person B, both professing believers. Okay, they're far apart. I would stretch farther, but my arms won't do it. Okay, they are far apart. If both of them are aiming to grow closer to their Savior, they are going to eventually get closer to each other. But it doesn't usually happen that neat and clean, does it? One might be growing faster and getting dealing with things in a more honest way than the other. But still, if both parties are believers, they are going to get a little closer to each other. Um, basic principle. Next point I have to give. I'm, I'm going fast here. The results of a failure to reconcile. Um, this list is not even a whole list, but it goes in order of severity and intensity. What happens when you break a relationship? At least tension. Do you know what that feels like? Sometimes you could cut it with a knife. And then resentment. You resent good things happening to them. They resent good things happening to you. Discord. Um, just everything feels negative. Then anger. Malice is anger on steroids. <laughs> and then all-consuming bitterness. All-consuming bitterness. You know that. And then it affects other relationships. It spills over. And then sometimes you end up with shallow or broken relationships in other, uh, with other people. You can become alienated. From a lot of people, depressed, mood swings, even suicidal thoughts. I wish I were dead. Now, I'm not saying that everyone who experiences those last three or four, um, that that happened from a broken relationship. But that's a big contributor. 
much depression is a response to life circumstances to broken trust. Somebody you thought you could trust and they failed or you failed or both. Um, it, it leads to these things. Well, what's the opposite? What does true reconciliation bring? Well, let's just see what God says. Um, and then, of course, practically you'll know some of these too. The, the results of true reconciliation are peace and joy in your relationship with God. You question his goodness far less, don't you? When you're overwhelmed in a broken relationship, you know, and somebody says, boy, God is good, and you can barely say, yeah, all the time. <laughs> okay, well, maybe all right. I don't know. You know, it, you question his goodness. Um, and so you, when you heal a broken relationship, it, 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 has, it helps you climb out of that pit of, of loneliness and depression. Now, I, again, it's a slow process. Can you say amen to that one? It's a slow process, but it is a glorious one. Um, I've had two best friends. Um, I've had a break in those relationships. One took six years to heal and recover, and the other about three or four years. They were very difficult. But I believed in the process, the biblical process. And uh, I think they did too. And, um, and they have been restored. And they're not back to what they used to be. They're better than what they used to be. Because so often in these broken relationships, there were things going on that weren't so edifying. Sometimes there's too much gossip. Sometimes there's enabling. Sometimes there's things going on that aren't good in the relationship. So when God restores one, don't think, oh, it's, I want it to go back to the way it used to be. No. <laughs> hey, Lord, I want it to be what you would have it to be. So, again, you can spend time with that person without there being those hurtful, hateful thoughts going through your mind. Now, questions for small group discussion? Ignore that. We're not a small group. <laughs> um, although they're helpful. If you ever wanted to do this, um, to teach it in another setting, those are really helpful questions. You could even ask yourself some of those. Um, and notice, if you ever do it in a group, don't identify people who may be seen in a negative light <laughs> unless you're sure they've gone public with their story. You know, gossip is done in the name of very sincere things like prayer and other things like that. We want to be careful. I've been guilty of that plenty of times. All right. Well, we've learned reconciliation is the goal. Forgiveness is the path. Practicing biblical forgiveness is the road to spiritual freedom. Well, we better define it. Anybody in here ever read Dr. J. Adams' book, From Forgiven to Forgiving? Anybody have ever read it? Hey, three people. It's a, you should have that in your library. I know you hear that in every place you go, and you're going to go home having blown the entire budget. I'm sorry. This one is a keeper. <laughs> From Forgiven to Forgiving. Very, very helpful. See, what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is a promise never to bring the issue up again in a condemnatory way. We have, we have to promise we're not going to bring that offense up to ourselves. Boy, how about that one? Do you, do you beat yourself up over and over and over again on some of the stuff you've done that are so full of shame and you're so humiliated and so disgusted with some of your own behavior that you keep bringing it up? I ran a crisis pregnancy center here in San Diego for 10 years. Imagine the post-abortive women I worked with. And what did I hear over and over again? Oh, I know God's forgiven me, but I can't. Thank you. 
forgive yourself. See? Well, you know what? If you can't forgive yourself, that means your standards are higher than God's. Not a good place to go. What you need to do is go back to the cross over and over and over again because that's Satan. That's just him. Remember, there's bad guilt and good guilt. Good guilt is when we know we've broken God's word. False guilt is when it's some cultural thing or your family's rules, you know, like never go to bed with dishes in the sink, okay? <laughs> Anybody roll go, go over that one? Okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's called false guilt. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure you could give me some wonderful examples. Um, don't bring up an offense to yourself in a condemnatory way or to others, might I say, including church leaders. Um, if you've promised to forgive somebody, you really can't be going to the church leaders. Okay? Unless it's a pattern. They're doing it over and over and over again. Then it's time for Matthew 18. We'll get into that later. But if you've promised to forgive an offense, let's say there's been adultery one time, all right, and you promise to forgive, then you promise to forgive. Never bring it up again. I know that's, you're thinking, oh, well, you don't know anything, do you? Um, I know we play these things over in our minds, but if you've said, I forgive you, we have to make sure our forgiveness reflects God, God's forgiveness, right? So the forgiveness we ask for and the end offer must reflect God's forgiveness. When God forgives us, he never brings up the offense in a condemnatory way. Did you notice I wrote, this doesn't mean forgetting, okay? I mean, some of the things that have been done to some of you are not forgettable. Hopefully, they'll dim a little bit in your memory. But if, like my, this young woman in, in the Czech Republic that I'm counseling, um, she's not going to forget some of those things that happened to her. But as she learns how to forgive, they're going to become less dominating. But they're not going to forget. See, God doesn't forget. In fact, God recorded David's sins in Scripture for all to read. <laughs> well, thank you. Right there I was. But they're there for warning, encouragement. They're not there for condemnation. No. And the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, right? He doesn't get amnesia. He just never holds it against you again in a condemnatory way. That's what that means. He doesn't love you less. Okay? They didn't separate David from God's love, did they? Now, you're thinking, well, wait a minute. Some of those sins I've done, I've really had consequences. Yeah. God allows limited consequences. He does. For our sins, he allows consequences. But they have limits. He never allows the ultimate consequence of eternal destruction in hell. So we can't be bringing things up in a condemnatory way. If we've forgiven, if we say, I promise I'll never bring this up again, we have to. It's so hard <laughs> when your child promises they'll clean up their room, okay? And uh, that doesn't happen. <laughs> and you say, and they say, I'm so sorry. You know? Is it going to happen again? Yeah. Yeah, it's going to happen again. But if you promise I'm not going to hold this against you again, you have to do everything that you can to not let that affect you. 
Now, I know there's lots of questions popping up in your eyes now because I can see it. We're getting there. So now we've defined forgiveness. Now there's two steps, two big steps. And this is what I had Carla do. As you know, Carla was a counselee of mine, still is. Um, Step number one is asking for forgiveness. Step number two is offering forgiveness. Number one, you know this passage. If you don't, you better memorize it. Matthew 7, 1 to 5, at least that, the, that key verse there. Get the log out of your own eye so you can see clearly to get the speck out of your brother's eye. Start with yourself. Take personal responsibility for what you've done, for your responses. Be more upset and grieved with your own sin than others. And that's so hard to do because she was 98% of the problem. I was only two, right? Isn't that how we feel? Right. He was doing this for years. He is 99% of the problem. I'm only 1%. Well, God holds you 100% responsible for your piddling little 1%. Take personal responsibility for your contribution. See, the problem is you have all the rationalizations clear in your own mind as to why you react the way you do, right? You know why. I know why. Because I don't get enough sleep, Uh, you know. And, of course, sleep does impact my irritability significantly. It's a contributory reason, but it's not an excuse for my sin, okay? When I fall into gluttony, which I do regularly, okay? Is it because my mother rewarded me every night with a big bowl of ice cream, when I was growing up, if I was a good girl, and I was a good girl, okay? <laughs> Every night. Okay, now, I am responsible for my part in that. Now, when I make the bad choices that I know I shouldn't, no excuse for my sin, see? Now, she contributed something. <laughs> um, that was those were her things. But you see, I have to take responsibility for my contribution, whether it's a little bit or bigger, and it's usually a lot bigger. In fact, when God calls mine a log and that person a speck, isn't that a little irritating? (laughs) Right? Isn't what you do the speck and what they do the log, right? Yeah, right? Sure. Raise your hand if that's true. Thank you. No. That's how we feel in the flesh. That's how we feel in our flesh. But God says, hmm, get the log out of your own eye. Wait, wait, wait. Let's just... See, you can have this conversation with the Lord and he'll tell you, no, have you ever gotten a speck in your eye? Yeah. Can you? Would you like want to do something important? Can you do anything until you get it out? No. The point is you can't go fixing somebody else to deal with your own. Again, this does not mean you must be flawless before you rebuke anyone. Please don't go there. No one is flawless. We're far, far from perfect. But it does mean that you must not be doing the very same thing for which you're admonishing the other person, Right? Romans 2, 1 and 2. I don't have this in your outline, but you put it there. Romans 2, 1 and 2. Don't be doing the same thing. And then you're pointing the finger. You make sure you deal with yourself first. Again, not flawless, but, you know, if I'm doing that. So I have to say, Lord, I am really upset with her temper tantrums. Okay? I'll give you a real example. She just gets so irritable. She cusses me out. You're thinking, oh, my word, where does she live? But, okay, she cusses me out. Okay? Am I cussing? Am I doing the same thing in my heart, but I have the common sense and the social graces not to do the same thing out loud? Okay? So I need to deal with my own stuff first. Then I can go. So we start with yourself. 
Ask God for wisdom. You know, sometimes you say, I really don't know what I contributed to this. I only just have 1%. I got, I got nothing. Okay? Ask that God will show you if you have contributed something. Okay? Humility is essential here, even if you've had a sinful reaction to what someone else started. And that's usually what happens. Someone else makes the little snarky comment, you know, is cold to you, or whatever. Or maybe is in a horrible mood and cursed you. Um... Or didn't invite you to something important. Whatever. Find out um, whether it's your reaction. You know, did I contribute anything? And then, number three, this is really hard. Differentiate between sin and weakness or ignorance. Okay? You can understand with the child. They're weak. They're ignorant. They don't know. Um, and there's a difference, a huge difference between sin and weakness. My precious mother is 91 years old, okay? She's got dementia. And I know some of you right now are knowing where this is going, right? She's a precious believer. But, yeah, some of the stuff she's doing right now is like really over the edge. (laughs) Really over the top. Um, I tried cleaning out her house and I was called Hitler. (laughs) But, she tried calling the police the other day. She's got a weakness, okay? But you're saying, are you making excuses for her sin? Well, okay, yes, there's sin in her heart, and maybe she's struggling with greed or pride or whatever, okay? But there's a big weakness there. So be it, differentiate between sin and weakness or ignorance. And please don't ask forgiveness for what's not sinful, all right? And people do that. People who are hyper, hypersensitive, and I know in a room like this, they've got people who are hypersensitive, you're navel gazers. Um, I mean, you got your head stuck in your navel. Okay. Don't ask for forgiveness for what is not sinful. Make a clear distinction. Um, one, of my, one of my precious offspring, who will remain nameless because I have five, you'll never know who it is. Um, when she writes a letter, every couple words is crossed off. And it's, sorry, I made a mistake. You know, sorry, just so incredibly insecure. Um, you know, and asking forgiveness for this out of the other thing. You know, missing the big stuff, but asking, you know, I'm really sorry that I asked you for a drink of water. I mean, it's just crazy stuff. Don't ask forgiveness for what's not sinful. Make clear distinctions. Next, don't allow, and I've already covered this, don't allow a hypersensitive conscience to stay focused on yourself. Like I said, some people are so self-focused, they sorry for the tiniest things that aren't even sinful. And then when you're asking for yourself, do it in writing. Read it if necessary. Write a rough copy that a trusted pastor or elder or counselor can help you complete. Why do I say try it in writing? Why do you think I say? Because you get in front of them and what happens? Um, uh, boy, I really like the color of your scarf. Wow. Um, you know, you get nervous. You forgot what you were going to say. If you've written it out... Get somebody you really trust to help you with it. You can read it. Dear Norma, I said Norma's up here. Um, back in aught oh two, when I, you know, okay, whatever, you write it out. And then there's still opportunity for feedback, but you don't fall to pieces and not say it. So I'm not saying it has to be that way. This is not a thus saith the Lord. This is just a common sense suggestion. Do you get that? Common sense suggestion. Um, and 
be specific about what you've done wrong. You know, like, here's a, uh, a forgiveness letter that really is not, doesn't say much. It's, please forgive me uh, when I was uh, proud and arrogant. That's it. See, we need a little more specificity than that because we all struggle with that. It was when um, I was so upset with you that I didn't return your emails or your texts for months on end. See, that's specific, isn't it? That's specific. Okay. Are you suggesting we do this in person but have it in writing as a reference? Yes. But not send a letter? Yes, okay, good. Someone's asked this question to you. Yeah, the letter is to help you. It's your guide. It's your cheat sheet. Okay? Which it, do it in person if possible. Sometimes you can't do it in person. You can't even find the person. Sometimes you find them, but they're too far away. But the best thing is face-to-face with some help. Just a suggestion. Be specific. But here, look what I said next. Do not put gory details in the letter. Okay? No gory details. For someone who's confessing about um, an affair, you want to have that really, you, you want oh, you're, you're a, a pastor or a counselor to help you. You do not want to put in gory details. You know, we do not want to know the setting. All right? And I'll tell you why. And I think some of you know why. It doesn't help that person at all. Because they'll replay the tape in their mind. And they'll, want to, they'll come back to you later and say, hmm, what color dress were you wearing? And all this nonsense because they think that, well, if I wasn't, see, I wasn't good enough, and so if I looked like that, then, you you see what I'm saying? These gory details don't help. The spirit and the word will help you. Be specific, but don't put in gory details. Now, I know lots of you are thinking, well, there's a whole lot of space between these two. Be specific, don't put in gory details. The Lord will be with you. He wants this more than you do. He's in the reconciliation business. This is his world. He, he came to reconcile. All right. Next part. We just talked about asking for forgiveness. Step one. Ooh, here comes step two. It's hard. <laughs> Offering or granting forgiveness. You need to strive to be ready to forget, forgive anyone and everyone who sinned against you. So this allows to avoid bitterness and live in peace. And this readiness to forgive goes on in your heart. Um, now I'm going to say something here that's going to make some of your hackles rise up on the back of your neck. Okay. Notice I did not say forgive, but instead be ready. Okay. Most of you probably have heard people say, we must forgive immediately. When someone has hurt you, you must forgive. Well, I'm going to suggest something different. Now, obviously, don't believe me because I said so. I'm just me. But I'm asking you to study this in the Word of God. If our forgiveness is to reflect Christ's, I think that's safe to say, right? 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. God doesn't forgive us before there's repentance. Many sincere and respected Christian leaders teach that believers must forgive, even if the perpetrator is not asked to be forgiven. And they use Luke 23, 24, when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Study that passage. Isn't it a prayer? Isn't Jesus asking his Father to forgive those out there who he will bring to faith? He didn't ask that every single sin of every person who participated, I don't know how many people out there, 200, 300, were around the, uh, there on, uh, at Calvary. 
He's saying, Father, forgive them. Because in his heart, he was willing. He was ready. He was eager to forgive them. It's a prayer. They don't know what they're doing. And we know the centurion came to know the Lord, don't we? Right there, the centurion, right at the cross, he came. So at least it was for him and probably many, many others. But you see, all I'm saying is that we have to be willing to forgive, ready to forgive, eager to forgive. But we don't actually forgive until the person has repented. But now you say, one of the questions that I've been asked before is, <laughs> what's the difference? <laughs> um, what is the difference between being ready to forgive and actually forgiving? Where's the line? Are you thinking that? You're wondering where in the line? Well, they're very close together. But what I want to leave room for, the reason I'm making this distinction is if it's a promise that you'll never bring it up again in a condemnatory way, and they haven't asked, what might you have to do someday? What if you take this to your elders? You ca- Matthew 18. If you promise you'll never bring it up again, you can't take it anywhere. Because if this is a pattern and that person's doing it to you over and over and over again, you're going to have to start carrying out Matthew 18. Well, if you promise I'm never going to bring this up, you certainly can't do that. But if they're not really repenting, and this is a pattern over and over again, you're going to have to take this, the Matthew 18 path. You, you have to. So I know some of you are thinking, this is the most confusing thing I ever heard. Just ask God to give you discernment as you study these passages. Next point. An offer to forgive someone is a form of confrontation. Confrontation is a firm yet gentle, humble rebuke. It's not in your face. It's encouraging. And there's three passages here. Revelation 3.19, Titus 2.15, and 2 Timothy 4.2. But the one I want to look at is Titus 2.15, where it says, rebuke with all authority. Wow. Rebuke with all authority. See, confrontation has authority and humility in it. So confrontation must be done with sincere offer to grant forgiveness. And here's a sample line. There it's under lowercase b. I am eager and ready to make a sincere promise to you that I'll never bring this up again. So what did Carla do? Carla's written her letter. She has two of them. Please forgive me for what I've done wrong. It's about a page, page and a half. And then the next one is, I'm ready to forgive you for... That's four pages longer. But she hasn't given them yet. She's scared. But she's going to. I see the spirit working in her. But you see, what she's saying in that, in that step two is she is eager and ready to make that promise to her mother and her father that she's never going to bring this up again in a condemnatory manner. See? She's mentioned it to them before. Um, she went on to have ten more abortions before she came to know the Lord and really walk with him. Now, she's married and can't have children. But, um, you see, she's brought it up. But... She's never said, I'm ready to forgive you. See, she hadn't confessed her own. She had never done step one. That's what she's doing first. And now she's about ready to also do step two. I like to keep them separate. You know why I like to keep them separate? So that you're not asking forgiveness for something that you've done because they were so awful. You see, if you keep them separate, it's better. Have you ever, has anybody ever apologized that way to you or asked forgiveness? 
like, please forgive me for my, the tone I used with you when you were acting like such a jerk. <laughs> See what I mean? Uh, it's You're acting like, okay, I did something wrong, but of course you deserved it. See what I'm saying? Um, you want to separate them, at least by time. And you can't always. Sometimes they have to be done at the same time. But if possible, keep them separate. Because first you want them to know that you're asking forgiveness for your part. Then you go and say, I'm ready to forgive you for what you've done to me. And spell it out. Be specific. No gory details, but be specific. Um, oh, here's a point I didn't... Uh, it's, it's right in your notes. Keep it as short as possible. I know one woman who wrote 16 pages. Not a good idea. It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. Uh, one counselor that I had, her, her step one was one letter. And step two, excuse me, her step one was one page. Step two was four pages. And by the time her husband got to about page two, I mean, his eyes glazed over. And he just completely shut down. So you really have to... Try to be as short as possible. But I'm, I know you're saying, but you told me to be specific, right? Um, don't pick out every offense they've done to you, okay? Just some ones that maybe are the most hurtful to you. But um, keep it short as possible. And ask for a response. Okay, like I said, read that letter to the person. Um, let's say it's somebody that you can't read it to them verbally. Let's say they're a great distance away and you're going to send it. Just say in there, could you please, you know, let me know. You know, let me know what you respond. I really welcome talking to you. I wish we could have a one-on-one. But, you know, come as humbly as possible, just really eager and ready to reconcile. Don't have those walls up. They're not going to hurt me again. Okay. Do everything you can in your walk with the Lord to make you open and willing. Again, avoid times where the parties are very busy or tired. If you're trying reconciling with somebody when they're in a, you know, just absolutely maybe sick or, no, don't do that. Um, Avoid times. Last and actually most important point, if you've done everything you can biblically and no true reconciliation is accomplished, you can still have peace. You can still live in freedom. You don't have to let this hold you down, pull you down, make you feel guilty. You can still have freedom. And in the case of an unbeliever, you can pray for them, but move on. You've done all you can. Um, uh, Again, go to a trusted pastor, elder, or counselor to see if there's something else you should do. But if you've done all you can, let it go. Let it go. The ball's in their court. You can't fix them. You can't control them. You've done what you can. You've asked forgiveness for your part. You've confronted him. No change. Again, I just misspoke. You really can't ask an unbeliever to forgive you, can you? It's really more an apology, and I'm sorry, but for an unbeliever, how can you ask an unbeliever to make a promise before God, right? Do they have a relationship with the true God of the Bible? No. So if you've um, sinned against an unbeliever, you'll, you want to just ask for, say, I'm sorry, this is an apology, I was wrong. I was wrong goes a long way, <laughs> okay? But you don't say, please forgive me, because they don't have the capacity. 
but um, you can still admit you're wrong to an unbeliever. <laughs> you really can. Can you forgive them? Uh, um, yes, you certainly um, can. We'll get to that. But in case of an unbeliever within your family, um, this is the toughest one. When someone is right in your face all the time, okay? Continue to practice those two steps of asking for forgiveness and offering to grant. Grant it. Um, and if it's somebody that uh, is, is abusing you, uh, someone who is hurting you in, a, in that physical way, you're not loving them to not draw a parameter. Some would call it a boundary, wouldn't they? Because you are enabling them in the sense we need to love them enough to say, this is unacceptable. This is unacceptable. So if that's what's going on, then you you continue to practice that, but yet you still take it, you know, that you draw a line and say, no more, it can't happen. It cannot happen again. And um, I would recommend going to, um, for uh, put, put it this way, a believer or an unbeliever, because you get professing believers that are members of a church, but they don't act like a believer. They're in a terrible pattern. Um, and uh, you, then you have to follow Matthew 18 all the way if they're a believer. But the point is, God gave us the civil authorities to protect you. I mean, your first protection the Lord's given you is him. Then you have other authorities, but he's given you the civil government. Um, remember, um, the loving thing to do is to say no to their behavior. Did you hear that? The loving thing to do is to say no. Um, appeal to the civil authorities if that's happening because you're not a punching bag. Did you hear me say that? You're not a punching bag, and also you're not a sex toy. You're not a sex toy, and you're not a punching bag. Um, but we'll get to the Q&A time. Just because I... And, and write your question down so you don't forget. I really want to take these. Um, again, now if you have to follow Matthew 18 all the way, try to avoid gossip, which is the very hardest thing to do, next to make every effort to prevent pulling others into the conflict. Because that's what we want to do. We pull others in. And we, we talk, we say too much, then we have terrible time with self-pity, um, because we're not following the path God has given us in Matthew 18, which is to confront. I mean, anybody in here don't know the Matthew 18 one? Anybody? Nobody would be, be willing to even say it. Study Matthew 18. You take, you confront the person yourself. If they don't repent and change, you take two or three others. If they don't change, then you go to the elders of the church, and and uh, then if they're dealing with them and they don't change, hopefully they'll be excommunicated. And as I wrote here, um, if your church doesn't practice biblical church discipline, I'm going to say something harsh. Find one that does. And I know most people think church discipline is unloving, right? Isn't church discipline? That's what people think. It's unloving. It's the most loving thing you can do. Done gently, not done harshly, not done arrogantly. Not like, you know, oh, just better than everybody else. But biblical, biblical church discipline done in a biblically balanced way is, is great protection for somebody who's really being abused.
Now, this whole thing is not about abuse. I'm sure it's going to come up, but that's not what my focus was. My focus tonight is on living in freedom, even if no true reconciliation is accomplished. How to do it, right? Reconciliation comes through confrontation and forgiveness, but even if you don't accomplish it, you can still live in peace, and you can still live in freedom. You can have a clear conscience. If you've done your part, again, I know some of you are going, I've done everything I can, but maybe there's one more thing. Okay. Those of you who are hypersensitive, don't go there. But those of you who haven't used your, your biblical tools, you still have those open to you. Make every effort. Make every effort. Um, Jay Adams' handbook on church discipline is very, very helpful if you uh, would like to give that to your church leaders. If they've never heard of church discipline, um, if they think it has to be harsh, that's a really helpful book. Dr. Adams is a scholar. He's been a pastor for many years. And uh, I just found that book very, very helpful for leaders. It's just a real handbook, exegeting the word, giving the examples from, from Scripture. Okay. Um, two more books I'm going to recommend before I open to Q&A. And I have six minutes left. Yippee. Um, Ken Sandy, S-A-N-D-E. I have no place to write that. Ken Sandy has written a book called The Peacemaker. How many here have read? Ooh, about half of you. The Peacemaker, a biblical guide by Ken Sandy. Um, He's also written one called Resolving Everyday Conflict. And his wife, Corlette, C-O-R-L-E-T-T-E, Corlette wrote one for kids called The Young Peacemaker. It's 12 comic books. Um, It's for kids. Just peacemaking principles, and which is what, so what we're talking about. Forgiveness, confrontation, reconciliation, not tattling on somebody. <laughs> the biblical way. It's called The Young Peacemaker by Corlette Sandy. Okay, very good. Now, I know I've opened some cans of worms here. Um, Gloria, you had a question, <laughs> yes, and I will repeat it for the tape. Okay. Um, you were making a difference differentiating between uh, the unbelievers on when to forgive. Yes. One within your family and one that's not in your family. Yeah. Um, I, Gloria's saying, did I make any differentiation between believers in your family and unbelievers outside the family? Why, why? Not really, but I'm, uh, the only reason I mention it is because when an unbeliever's in your family, you're seeing them all the time. An unbeliever outside, you aren't as likely to have, let's say, on the work, uh, at work. Um, you're seeing them frequently, but it might not be as much as somebody you live with day in and day out. So there's no real distinction. I mean, they're an unbeliever, mm-hmm. and there's lots of conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, the principle's the same. <coughs> Lord, what have I done? What do I need to... Have I done anything uh, to contribute to the problems between me and Sally? Please forgive me, Sally, for what I've contributed and later on, Sally, I'm ready to forgive you for the way you talk behind my back regularly. See? Mm-hmm. They're an unbeliever. Um, oh, did I misspeak again? I would say, not for, I shouldn't have said, please forgive me, Sally. I should have said, Sally, I was wrong. I apologize. Okay? 
Now, I know lots of you are thinking, uh, does this work? <laughs> it does. In God's way, in God's time, for his glory, many broken relationships have been healed. Have all of them? Oh, no. But God does reconcile. Sue, you have a question. How does um, someone deal with forgiving when the perpetrator is either gone, not present, dead, or not willing to admit that they caused any harm? Okay, I think they probably picked that up. Thank you, Sue. Okay, what do you do when they're dead? Well, um, we only got one part of that. Um, Lord, please forgive me for what I contributed to the problems. And uh, Lord, um, he or she's gone. And um, uh, But God knows your heart. You can say to the Lord, please forgive me for what I've, my, my part. There's nothing you can do. Um, your anger, your resentment, whatever. But... Let's say you can't find them. Well, there's nothing you can do either. They might as well be dead um, if you can't find them. Don't hire a detective. If God wants you to deal with them, he will bring that person back in, across your path. But I don't think you have to search. I think, I mean, there are people whose consciences are so sensitive, they would overdo it. Say, Lord, I want to reconcile. I don't know if they're dead or alive, you know. I have a couple old boyfriends I would like to to say, please forgive me too, but I have no idea where they are. If one actually came back and um, I ran across him, well, I was probably about 30, 35 years old, and we both saw each other and both came to each other and said, please forgive me, almost at the same time for what I contributed to the problems in our relationship. God had worked on both of us. It was, it was great. We just ran into each other at a conference and both said it at the same time. It was really beautiful. God had worked in both of us. But, you know, you don't hire a detective, okay? Let God do it in his time, his way. And the other one you asked, Sue, was a really good question. And it was, what if they keep doing it over and over again? Oh, they're not aware at all. Well, in other words, you go up and say to them, um, I am uh, ready to forgive you for this, this, and this. And they go, what? Well, you're sensitive. You know, there's nothing you can do. The ball's in their court. You have to let that go. You can't go back over and over again um, with that same offense. You see? That's what Carla was doing. She kept going back to, you know, and her mother was not, her mother just said, you're too sensitive. That's what she kept saying. You're too sensitive. But Carla hadn't asked forgiveness for what she had been, what she contributed. And there were things she did. So there is a place to just let it go. You've done all you can. You can live in peace. Again, but ask yourself, if you're a hypersensitive person, you might fall into the ditch on this side. But if you're not, maybe your conscience is more callous, then you might fall into the ditch on this side. Know yourself. God knows you. Ask him to show you. Am I overreacting? Am I the hypersensitive one? Or am I being calloused here? Okay. One more question till 9 o'clock. Yes. I'm counseling with a young woman in her 30s who was abused by a cousin when she, you know, from when she was 7 to pre mm. mm. And whenever she went to her parents, they said she was making it up. Oh. And so right now she lives thousands of miles apart from them, so she's healing and growing. I'm trying to picture how to get her to that step of... I'm willing to forgive you. Right. Already sure that, told her that she was right. Off the wrong well, in other words, 
here, here's a, st- a gal who was abused, and, and, and in other words, she's telling you the story in such a way you believe it's true. She showed all the all the, all the physical symptoms, symptoms that would say it's true. And if the story stays stays consistent, you can be sure it's not exaggerated or okay. I'm fairly confident of that. Then what you need to do is tell her, look, you already confronted them. They haven't seen it. They're denying it. Let they answer to God. What you need to do is, again, pour on heavy doses of grace. Like those talks we heard this morning by Jessica and Elise, um, there are some people who don't. If they're hard and calloused, they might not need an extra heavy dose of that, but someone like that needs extra doses of that. You see? There are times when you need to have the good news poured on in huge quantities, and other times... You need the law. <laughs> okay. Remember, it not just drives you to Christ, it's also a guide. Okay? See, the Bible's full of the threatenings, aren't they? And always the grace. Grace trumps the bad news, but look, put them both in there, and God will help you to know what she needs each and every moment. And would you pray for me also, and, for, and I know many of you are counseling people like this, that will know when to pour on the gospel grace and when to bring in uh, the law for, for conviction. But when you get someone like that, they need extra doses. And, okay, any questions out there, come up and see me. I'll stay around for a while. Thank you for being a really good audience. Copyright 2012, IBCD, All Rights Reserved. More free resources are available at www.ibcd.org.